It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges paradigms and mindsets that hold us back. This podcast can be heard on demand on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Aha Radio, Pandora, Audible, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Resilience is the audacity to never give up. Beate Shaled, and she happens to be my special guest today on the Time with Fred podcast. Beate, welcome to the Time with Fred podcast today. I am so excited to be here. Pleasure is all mine. So Beate, you are one of the top 100 global thought leaders in 2021, um, according to People Hum, one of 50 must-follow women entrepreneurs by Huffington Post, author of the number one international award-winning Amazing Bestseller, Happy Women, Happy World, How to Go from Overwhelmed to Awesome. But behind all of that, Beate, is a very powerful story of a single woman who was able to turn $105,000 debt and sold for millions, really, to, to Bill Gates. Oftentimes, when I introduce guests, we hear about the accomplishments and all of which is great. Well, we often don't see are the scars, if you will, behind the stars, where the stories that made them who they are today. Can you take us a little bit back, uh, Beate, and, and tell us how this all happened? Yes, it's you're absolutely correct, Fred. It's always like sometimes when I hear this introduction about myself, I listen to it and go like, that sounds really good. Uh, and then you go and you think about what are the markers of the road, as you call them, scars that got us here. And I think that sometimes when we, we are so obsessed with the idea of getting there, that we forget the journey is the reward mm. because then we don't want to talk about the journey anymore. We only want to talk about us having bought the house and us coming out on the other side. But to your point, that's the piece that's not really relatable. And so if we are talking about mindset, about hope, about the audacity to not give up, there is the story within that, the richness, I think that hopefully your listeners can tie in a little bit today and say, huh, huh, if she can do this, I can do it too. Mm. So my story really begins as a, as the unruly kid that just didn't fit in. And I am sure that that part alone is already going to resonate with millions of people, the feeling of, I'm just not quite like everyone else, or at least that was, you know, what I was operating under. And I had this, the first inkling was when I was going through the aptitude test and I'm originally from Germany. And so Germans take everything very seriously, Fred, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Surprise to everyone. Gasp. And so they take me through these pages of pages of aptitude test. And, you know, it asks things like, are you afraid of heights? Do you like being outside? Are you, are you afraid of physical labor? Do you mind carrying stuff? And I'm like, no, everything's great. I like being outside. Now, I want you to guess, Fred, what do you think this aptitude test said I should be? Just wild guess. Yes. I don't want to get into trouble for guessing, but I have no idea. It could be anything, but no. I mean, cer certainly not what you turn out being, right? Um, no. I'd imagine. 
A roofer. A roofer? <laughs> I wonder what a some roofer. of those I wonder what, what some of those answers were that pointed to the fact that a roofer would be the ideal profession for you. That's 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 unheard. I, liked I wouldn't being have outside. I wasn't afraid of fights and I didn't mind carrying heavy loads. Did you like climbing? Did you like climbing? That would lead me. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, of course, you know, I mean, like, you know, you're young. What do you know that this is supposed to like build the trajectory of your life? So anyway, this was the moment where I realized that, that what other people generally isn't exactly going to work for me. And I, I, I realized I had to forge my own past. Uh, path. And so when I did looked at what is it that that interested me, and it was always around creativity and photography. And so I went down the photography route against all odds, of course, was the youngest person to ever be accepted. And then this journey starts where I very quickly realized I was much better at the business side and things. And that business really came very easy to me. So when other people would say something in my head, it's going like step one, two, three, four, five, six, and, you know, and pop, 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 pop. Um, it, 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 it came out. So I decided that I was going to do something that I was afraid to do because I wanted to do something courageous and adventurous. And so I decided I was going to go to America. And when I did that, I came here for the year abroad and the year just never really ended. And so as I fell very quickly, sort of in, in the early stages of my career, I was a photo editor at Elle magazine. I was making good money. I was 23 years old and I decided to leave it all behind because I realized um, at that time, and when we talk about mindset, Fred, and you probably can relate to that, is that if you are that early in a position of power where people will do anything for you, because of the job you have, it really messes with your mind because you think it's all about you, Mm -hmm. but it isn't. It's all about what they think they can manipulate you into doing for them. It was Mm. never about me. So I really wanted to figure out who I was and I wanted to be liked as the person and not as the job. Or what I could do for other people. So I, I quit, left everything behind. Six weeks later, I'm on a plane going to America. And that's where the journey really starts. So I found a job pretty quickly. First, I was in as a, an au pair on a houseboat in Key West without water and electricity just to get off this L magazine thing. And then I was laid off. I had found a great guy who had only two problems. He was a pathological liar and an alcoholic. By the time I figured this out, Fred, I'm already pregnant. Mm. And now the, now the journey really starts, right? So now we're talking about the decade of bad luck. And I say I'm an eight times disaster survivor. And we're talking about big things, fires, floods, earthquake, a tsunami, September 11th, a lawsuit. Little did I know I was going to add a pandemic to my repertoire, mm. my ever-growing repertoire of disasters. And there was a point in this journey where I was $135,000 in debt and I couldn't figure out how to get my way out of it. And I, and I thought this was over. I go to Germany and my dad has a stroke, but my dad didn't have a stroke. My dad had pancreatic cancer and, um, only, and died only six weeks later. So my, my, my best friend 
my, my biggest supporter has now passed away. And now I am in. Sorry to hear about that. I was horrible. And now I'm at the grave and my phone rings. It's my office in Los Angeles. And we've just been served a notice while I wasn't there that we're now losing the house. We had to move on money. I didn't have. And if we talk about um, defining moments in life, Hmm. There was this moment where I fell on my knees at the grave for dramatic effect, no less. And I, I raised my fist against God. And I said, dear God, if you have a plan, this would be an excellent time to fill me in because I couldn't figure out hmm. why. I had to go through one after the other. I mean, I just couldn't mm, ever mm-hmm. even get a break. I couldn't even get up. And then I surrendered. Mm. And I said, fine. Okay. Better have a bankruptcy attorney. I applied to all kinds of jobs. I had no idea what I was going to do. I come back. I move on money I don't have. And then... I get a letter from the White House, the White House, because in my absolute desperation with a woman that had nothing to lose and because my former mother-in-law just wouldn't be quiet about it, I wrote a letter to the president of the United States asking for help. Who was the president at the time? George W. Bush. And Then I let it go because I just couldn't deal with her talking about this all the time. And then I get a letter from the White House and it puts me in touch with the small business administration with the deputy chief director, Fred, because I came from the White House, not through the regular Mm -hmm. application ranks, right? I came in from the top. They found me a bank that was willing to restructure my debt, $135,000 at the time. That freed up my line of credit $45,000 that gave me enough cash to get to break even. So the the time frame between folding and break even Mm. was three months. That's it. That's the difference between complete and utter failure and, and doing what I did. And then 18 months after the worst moment of my life, when my dad died, I am now the world leader in my category. I mean, and inside, I mean, it just took off. And that's when a Bill Gates company comes and knocks on my door and says, hey, can you tell us how you did it? And I said, no, like any decent woman, you want what I have, you have to pay for it, of course. And they made me a multimillion dollar offer. Wow. And I accepted. And that's how I got out of a decade of bad luck to becoming a self-made multimillionaire. And here to share the shortcuts and the blueprints on what was it that I did where I cracked that code that brought me out on the other side and to share how close it was. And this was all because you'd come to a place of of surrender and you answered one of the questions I typically ask uh, my special guest, which is what defines them. So you've already answered them, I'm going to ask you. But first of all, going back to the anecdotal roofer thing why didn't you believe in the so-called expert assessment that this is what your lot was in life and you know resign your 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 fate to it 
was it because of that stubbornness, um, if you will, not to go with the status quo and challenge all of the paradigms um, in life that doesn't fit within what you think is a mold. How did you pick up on the stubbornness? Just because <laughs> you mentioned it. Is it like this? Well, yeah, I mean, truly, I think that there some of the defining moments in life is always about we have to recognize, and I did this not consciously at the time, is that other people are trying to make us conform to their ideology of what they experience and what they know is their truth. And because it is their truth, they automatically assume that their truth is the ultimate truth because that's all they know. It's their middle-class thinking. It's there. You got to get a job, you know, got to play it safe. Uh, you want to have a retirement. Um, you know, you, you got to put your kids through school. You want to have something that you know what it looks like. You can't take any risks. That's really crazy. So many people fail in entrepreneurship. Why are you doing something outrageous like that? So, they push you to what they believe. And because my, because in my case, the belief was so outrageous. Why would in my, why would I want to be a roofer? I wanted to be a creative. And then the aptitude test says you should be a roofer. I mean, that was just so outrageous. And then she looked at me and then she said to me, you know, there's a lot of openings for secretaries. And I'm like, I don't want to be no secretary. I want to be the boss. What's wrong with that? And to, you know, uh, to speak about, you know, my, my dad was a CEO of a dairy company. And to me, that him being the boss and people like sending him lots of gifts for Christmas and thank you cards and notes and having a nice corner office certainly was a lot more appealing to me than Absolutely. my mother who was a homemaker. I was a, I was a good driver. Yeah. Right? But, but I, yeah. I want to go back and, you know, I use that stubbornness word figuratively, right? Because I, I think in life, Abiyati, we, we, we all have to get to the point where we're stubborn, especially when it comes to some of these expert opinions, right? Someone tell whether it's an assessment or whether it's an expert, someone, whether it's a teacher, um, or whoever, you know, the people we have in our lives who know better, right, uh, or seem to, and then pronounce some of these things, and then we bind. And really, that's, that's, what, that's where a lot of um, people get stuck, because someone somewhere said something to them or told you this is what you're going to be, and then we swallow that hook, line, and sinker. But I think there has to come a time when we have to start challenging these things with, with and I'll say the word again, with, with some stubbornness, because if you, you have to dare to be, you have to dare to challenge some of these things. And I think there is a place for that. Um, because who knows how many people be at it, are stuck in life in whatever professions they are in because someone somewhere or some assessment somewhere told them this is what they are. And what if they dared to challenge that? Who knows where they would be today? And I think it's important that, that we address it because um, we, we can't say this enough, right? Your destiny could be in the hands of, of what you believe to be true, right? Based on, based on what someone tells you. I, I think that's, that's a point emphasizing. Um, how did it feel like though, when um, was it, did it feel like you were rebelling or did, you, did it feel right in the gut that you were doing absolutely what the right thing was for you to do by challenging that? 
I mean, I believe honestly that rules are there for two reasons. So either we bent or broken. And I felt that at that time, because I, you know, my childhood wasn't really like all that great. Um, my mother has some serious issues. And, and so for me, the, the, I had two criterias. I needed to get out and I needed to survive. Yeah. And then I wanted to make sure that I was going to do something that would make me happy. I, I felt very early on, Fred, that I was here for a reason. And today, you know, looking back at my life, and, and maybe this is comfort for some of your listeners that are experiencing severe adversity at this time. Sometimes I think that God, Spirit, the universe puts those of us who have a purpose, a big purpose, through a crash course of showcasing us where the world really is. Because unless we have these experiences ourselves, how could we relate to desperation? And you see this all the time in social media when somebody cannot relate to the plights of a single mom or a um, you know, woman that's been sexually assaulted or, or somebody who is non-conforming. You only have this passion and understanding for someone like that if you yourself have that as an, a shareable experience where you felt you didn't belong. And so I believe that the healers and the change makers and the visionaries of this world have to go through these moments so that we can deeply and profoundly connect with the emotion that other people are experiencing so that we can step in and say, wait, I can relate and I have something that might help you so that you can too overcome and step into your brilliance, into making that impact you really came here to do. I always say that everybody who comes to me has been activated and only people that have been activated understand what that even means. Here's a quote that I think you might, you might find, um, you might like actually, and I quote, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They are not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify them or vilify them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as a crazy ones, we see genius. Because the ones who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. The late Steve Jobs, unquote. Your response to that? Well, yeah, duh. <laughs> I mean, is there a question? Yes, of course. But see, because I've been around creativity my entire life, right? And I did go into photography and I did become an agent and a producer. And I, I've been around the most creative, non-conforming, colorful, unique people in the world. And what, what's amazing about that is like, you know, people that are so unique and individual come together in this short compressed amount of time to produce something really creative. And then they become this like tight knit family that does everything together in a span of a certain number of days or weeks and that's it. And then it's over and there's a result to it. So for me, it was always, if we can come together with so many unique people, then it's 
possible, right? Then that really is what drives the creativity. So to me, when, when people reiterate how to conform or that things are a certain way, I know better because I've seen it again and again and again. And that's why I have such a love for anyone who doesn't fit in and anyone who, who has gone through the heart school of hard knocks. I mean, on my entire team, you know, you can go the educational route in life and you can go the school of hard knocks and you'll find more people that follow the school of hard knocks and my teams, mm. because I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I value that. Another point you made earlier, Beate was, um, I think at a funeral, I was a, you know, uh, of your dad, your late dad, and where you knelt down and, 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 and called upon God and said, if you have a better plan, um, you, you need him to reveal that to you. And, and I think that speaks of, uh, you, you rightly um, said it, right? That, that place of surrender. Um, that, that, that is a critical point there. Uh, you actually call you your defining moment because that's really what can make or break someone. We often get to that place in life or, or that breaking point in life where life forces us to, to surrender. Why was it important, Abiata, for you to, to surrender, right? After all, you were, you were tough, you were, you, were, you were resilient, but you came to that point in life where you felt it was important for you to surrender. It was not by choice. It was not by choice. There was literally nothing else I could do. Mm. I had maxed out every credit card. I had to borrow interest to pay interest on borrowed money. Mm. A great, great financial strategy is probably everybody can testify to like not. And I had done everything. I had gone everywhere. I had knocked on every door. I had made every phone call. I had, I had um, pushed as hard as I could. I believed I invested. I, I may, I, I did everything that I could, there wasn't anything else I could mm. do. And at that point, there's only one thing you can do. Mm. And that is to, to give it up and say, yeah. whatever happens now, because this required a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the positive side to that, uh, which I love is, is that you didn't, it didn't, it, it, it didn't lead you down the wrong path, right? There, there were the, it could have been many choices that um, you, you, you could have made, uh, but you came to that point where you were like, okay, you know, you, I think that gave you a chance to have a clear mind and perhaps led you to write that letter to the White House, which as ridiculously as it may seem, ended up, you know, opening up some doors for you. And, and I guess probably whether intuition or leading or whatever you may call it, but, but, but I think it's important too that when we get to that point, that, that breaking point in life, that we, we, keep, we keep our mind open for that direction, for that guidance to make sure that whatever decision you're taking at that point is the one that leads you out of that rabbit hole, if you will. Um, would, that, would, that, would that be a fair assessment? I think that you're touching on like, like the single most important point, Fred. Mm. So what happens is that in life, you have control over two things. That's where you are at right now because this is the result of all of your decisions. You're here because of mm -hmm. what you did, not anybody else, but what you did. You have control over your destiny, where you are going, the goal that you're sticking in the ground. How you get there is not up to you. And I think that that's oftentimes what we forget in mindset or in miracle work or in, 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 in our trust 
in the way the universal laws operate is that we think we can only move if the sky opens, an angel appears, gives us a list, um, a blueprint, you know, very much like a CRM with first you do this, then you do that, then you get attacked, then you go in this funnel. And, you know, and we think that life is, is like that. It's not. What happens is the minute you make the decision, you step in. And I had a big goal. I wanted to sell my business because of what happened to me before. I wanted an equity business that was making money while I wasn't working. I wanted to make sure I had money to put my daughter through college because my ex-husband at that time, um, you know, didn't participate, didn't really pay much money. Um, So I knew it was on me and I knew I needed to fix it. That was the vision that I had. I had no clue how to get there. So the surrender was, surrendering my way because clearly what I had done up until this point was not working because I wasn't getting the results. So what else was I going to do other than Mm. surrender? And so when we do that, what happens is instead of chasing you creating this pocket of opportunity to open where now opportunities are showing up, but it's always like a challenge. It always looks like a challenge. So if I would have taken this letter from the White House and I would have said, right, the president never mm-hmm, saw this letter, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, like a bunch of nonsense. Mm-hmm. I took it as seriously as I could take it. Mm. I knew it was an opportunity. And then the guy looks at my business plan and he goes like, yeah, you know, that's all kind of cute. But, you know, it's very nice that you tell us over 50 pages what you're doing on marketing and why you're so great. All we're really interested in is the numbers. So can you have that done in the next 48 hours, Right. Um, so it, it requires you to then go and say, I'm going to commit to do what the opportunity demands. Very quickly, uh, Beata, before we end, you, you talk about three powerful lessons um, that has helped you uh, throughout your journey. Number one is failing your way to success, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, and then not drowning in a puddle. Can you, can you walk us through those steps? Yes. So the not drowning in a puddle is that... Um, If you are having adversity, please don't drown in a tiny little puddle. At least Mm. make it an ocean. Okay, Mm. make it make it worthwhile. I mean, declaring bankruptcy at one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars is worth it. Declaring bankruptcy at ten thousand is not. Mm. So, um, you know, if you if you want to go down whatever road you want to go down, make it worthwhile Mm. your time and the effort. Number two, failing your way to success. That's really based upon the idea that if you are driving your car and your GPS is outdated and you're now in a cul-de-sac, but you know the venue is over there, you're not going to stop your car, throw yourself on the ground and throw a temper tantrum and start crying. Oh no, I can't believe it. I've been misled. You're just going to go and say, okay, fine. Got to update the GPS. You're going to go back in your car. You're going to turn around. You find another way there. So what if failure is hidden as just somebody with a stop sign saying, mm. don't go here. It's not, this is not the way. People get so hung up in these failures, a perception of their failures, that they can't move on because they go, it's, a, it's proof that I'm an idiot. Instead of saying, it's proof that this is not the way to go. Let me find another way. And then finally, you know, that ties into the feeling, the fear, and having the courage to do it anyway. And I heard this from Maria Shriver when she was, Uh, speaking at the um, governor's conference here in Los Angeles. And I thought it was so profound 
because she said that courage is really only needed when you do something really crazy, daring, that requires you to have courage. I love that. And before we wrap up, uh, we have to tell, tell our listeners, um, you know, what you do and where they can find you, your information. Yes, of course. So you can find me at beatechillette.com, which is going to be in the show notes. I live on thank you notes and ahas. So if you heard something in this conversation, either that Fred said, or I said that you want to share, reach out to us, share that aha moment. That's the blood that runs through our veins. That's why we're doing it because we, we want you to tell us that something was lifted and, um, amen to that. Right, right. You got to get the thank you notes. You got to get the, the, the message and uh, look me up on Instagram at Beata Shalette and don't be a stranger. Reach out. I have a bunch of different programs and ideas. So if you, if you're looking for some aspiration and helping you grow, build and scale your business, look me up. I'll be more than happy to share what I have and help you to achieve your dream. Speak to that person, Beate, who may have been told something ridiculous, which doesn't resonate with them um, or what they know for a fact they were born to do, but yet are tempted to take that as fa- at face value or someone who may have been caught you know, in, in, in along the journey who just can't seem to find a way out um, or just someone who just has no idea, you know, where they are and maybe they've gone through a loss, experienced a loss like, like, like you experienced and just about to give it all up thinking life's not worth it. I want you to speak to that person who's listening or who's watching this right now. There's two questions I ask. The first question is, are you done? Because only if you're done, you can give up. The second question I'm going to ask you is, did you come here to be mediocre? Because your chances of even making it into the human form, being born and making it to the place that you are at right now are so astronomically slim that the chances that you're being put here for a reason are probably relatively great. So unless you tell me that you came here to be mediocre, you got to get up, dust yourself off and start doing what makes you happy. And if you don't know what that is, then you need to think about what if you knew what it would be? Because if I ask a five-year-old and I ask him what makes you really happy right now, they're blurted out in 10 seconds. So if a five-year-old knows How can you not know what makes you happy and go there first and then overcome that and dare to dare to be that and become that, make the decision and become that. Beate Shalette, thank you so much for coming on the Time with Work podcast. You've shared some profound lessons that I have found valuable that I'm sure listeners will find valuable as well. And thanks for allowing yourself um, to dare. Thanks for not buying into that bogus assessment that said you were born to be a roofer. Thanks for daring. Thanks for being vulnerable. Thanks for getting to the point where you felt like there was no way out. Thanks for taking that letter that he got from that White House seriously, because that's what has shaped your story. And that's what leading you to have such a profound impact 
on humanity. So if you've been blessed, if you've been touched by this podcast, rather, make sure you leave a positive feedback for us on iTunes and feel free to reach out uh, to Beata as well. Her website is going to be on the screen. It's beatashala.com. Uh, and until next time, dare to be different, dare to do something great with your life. Thanks for watching again. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay well.